Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to your tech questions. My name is Micah Sargent, and of course, I am joined by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hey, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you today? I'm good. I believe this is your first official co-hosted episode. It is. I think on paper you were a guest last time, but we should uh, offer our congratulations to Serenity. If you hadn't heard, uh, Serenity took a job at a Serenit computer company in California. <laughs> yes. So she's uh, she's gone on, moved out west, you know, doing the Apple Apple thing. So we're really proud of her, really excited for her. Not in part because now you're my co-host, which is very exciting. Uh, thank you for uh, joining me on Query from here on out. Of course, I'm so happy to. And uh, you do have cake for me, right? Mm, it's in the mail. Okay, gotcha. Cool, 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 cool. It's going to shove through your letterbox. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for Fine. the ants to show up in my mailbox and we'll, get, oh. <laughs> we'll be good to go. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so we have a bunch of stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about Time Machine. We're going to talk... We have a lot of topics about like iPhone photography. This kind of became the iPhone photography episode, sort of going through the document. But let's start with a question from Gav. Gav writes, I have a 13-inch MacBook Pro and a Mac Mini. How can I set up an external drive attached to the Mini to be time machine for my laptop? So this was a question that I thought I knew the answer to, and I started digging into it, and then I wrote an article. It's channeling serenity, I guess. <laughs> I love how that works. Yeah, so it used to be, to do this, you needed a Mac OS server, which was, you know, depending what the time frame was, extra money, some amount of extra money, and you installed it on your Mac, and you got a bunch of extra tools and apps and stuff. That's more or less gone away, and a lot of those features that you have to pay more for now are just built into macOS, which is really cool. They didn't just get rid of them. They kind of built them in directly. And one of these is Time Machine Server. So what you can do is you can have an external drive or even a folder on an internal drive, but you should use an external drive for Time Machine. Because Time Machine, as we know, will just fill up a drive if you let it, and that's kind of the way it's designed to work. So you can plug in an external drive, and you can... Um, set it up to be shared on the network. And there's this really kind of hidden but kind of cool option to enable any shared folder to become a destination for other Macs to use for Time Machine. And so there's some screenshots and stuff in that link. Go check them out on 512. But basically you say, hey, uh, this folder, I am sort of blessing it for Time Machine use. (laughs) You have the opportunity there to limit the size of the Time Machine backup. So to sort of uh, rewind for a second, Time Machine, is, as you probably know on the Mac, backs up all your files and all the versions of those files. So sort of the easy way to think about it, if you have a Pages document saved on your desktop that you update every day, you know, every single day you open it and it's your diary and you write something down and then you close it. Time Machine is going to save as many copies of that, as many versions of that as it can. So you could say, oh... I really need to roll back to the the version of that from July 17th, and you can go back and do that, or June 15th or March 3rd, and you go further further back in time. So the more hard drive space you have available you to back up, the further back in time you can go. So, Stephen, uh, I do have a question, because you mentioned like you, you weren't sure about this, uh, and so you started to dig in research. Whenever I read this question, I was like, oh, this is actually something that I wish I knew about, too. Um, now, Apple Protected File System, and some people might know it as APFS, uh, as far as I understand, on the operating system, it's pretty efficient about storing like multiple copies of files. I'm curious, does this apply to Time Machine as well? 
So as of High Sierra, at least, so we're recording this in August 2018, uh, Time Machine really hasn't been updated in any meaningful way to take advantage of APFS. You can archive files from APFS. Of course, like my iMac is running APFS. I have a Time Machine drive. But uh, you're really there's really no big reason to use APFS on a Time Machine uh, destination drive itself yet. I think that will come in the future so it becomes more efficient, but they haven't, I guess they haven't gotten around to that yet. So it's still kind of working the way it always has where you really benefit from more drive space. But if you're setting a Time Machine server drive up, say you have a, a eight terabyte external USB hard drive plugged into this like theoretical Mac mini mm-hmm. and you have four computers to back up to it. You could tell each computer, hey, you can only you are only allowed two terabytes of space. And so, you know, my MacBook Pro would see two terabytes of time machine space. Uh, my wife's MacBook would see two terabytes of time machine space. So you have that that tool available to you if you want to carve up a larger disk across multiple users. And this can be really nice. And most people have notebooks. And, you know, I'm sitting in front of an iMac and it has a time machine drive uh, under my desk. But even my MacBook Pro, which I don't use all the time, but it's it's here on the desk. You know, I back it up with Time Machine. I don't always remember to do that. I mean, the hard drive's right here on the desk, and I just sometimes I just don't plug it in for a while. And so this is a nice feature if you have several notebooks in a house in a household, and you don't want to worry about having, you know, two, three, four external, you know, basically an external USB drive for every notebook user. You can have mm-hmm. one big disk. If, again, if you have a Mac Mini or an iMac, you know some sort of Mac that's on all the time, on the network all the time, and you can kind of point all those back to one thing. Very similar to how the time capsules used to work, right? Remember those things? It was a yes. wireless base station, had a hard drive inside, and the pitch was, hey, you have a house full of Macs, uh, just back them up to one place. And so Time Machine Server more or less does that, and it's it's pretty straightforward to set up. It's just built in, which I think is the coolest part, that I think Apple realizes that people have this need uh, until we're all just backing up to iCloud all the time. This is a, a pretty good way to do it without having to remember to plug something in all the time. Yeah, agreed. I'm I'm glad that, that feature is there. And in fact, uh, I'm about to be rocking two different uh, notebooks. So this will be perfect for, for making that happen. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, so check out that link uh, with some screenshots and stuff, and it's it's pretty straightforward to set up. And then uh, once it's set up, it it auto mounts the drive, and it works just the way you would expect it to. You don't you don't have any extra steps to ensure the backups work, you know, in the future. So what what is Bob up to with this iOS mail question? Uh, Bob writes: Does anyone know why Apple doesn't use an embedded Safari browser in their own mail app? This is the number one reason why I use a third-party app for mail on iOS. So, if you're wondering what uh, Bob's talking about there, the embedded Safari browser. Uh, there are certain apps you may use: Tweetbot, Slack, and many, many others actually. And when you tap on a link in those apps, it will actually pop up a version of Safari right there in the app, and then you can go ahead and do whatever it is that you need to do. You can hit the little done button and go back to the app. And things just feel a little bit quicker than if you are bouncing outside of the app to go into the actual Safari app to be able to browse in the browser. So we're wondering, why does Mail not do this? This is Apple's own app, Stephen. Why (laughs) doesn't Mail do it? Mail's not even the only one that doesn't do it. Messages doesn't do it either. 
This is true. Mail and messages. What's going on there? Uh, why Why are we bouncing out? And sort of, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are, because I certainly have um, some mixed feelings about being able to use Safari within an app versus bouncing out. I, I prefer the, the, the modern way of doing it, having a Safari view in the app, just because it's, you don't have to wait for the animation, like bounce over. And, you know, very often, I feel like, Almost always when I use this, right? I'm in Slack or something and a tweet bot and I see a link and I just need to skim that link real quick. You know, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily like starting a giant task on that web page. And if I am, there's a button that I can just open that URL in Safari directly so I could go back and see my content within Slack or Tweetbot. So mm-hmm. you can sort of graduate, if you will, from like the Safari viewer all the way to like, you know, sort of real quote unquote real safari. <laughs> um, but also as the share sheet, right? So if it so if um common use for me, right? So I see a link in Tweetbot and I skim it and think, oh, this is something that I want to link to on five twelve pixels. But I'm not where I can do that at the moment. I can hit the share sheet. I have a, a workflow slash shortcut to add that to a to doist list. And it's all got all my parameters set up to like link this on the blog, make it due today, have all those things set up in that workflow. And I use that all the time. And so I got the link, skim it in Safari Viewer. Hey, this is something that uh, I want to do. I want to. I need to do something with this URL later, and I can share it out to something else. So I like it because that feels really fast and fluid for me. But it sounds like you're a little more conflicted. Yeah. So switching contexts. Um, there have been a number of psychological studies involving switching contexts, be it physically or sort of in this pseudo-physical space, this digital space, but sometimes can feel a little physical whenever we see these animations. And our brains are not really great about doing so. Uh, the, the studies have shown like walking through a door can literally make you forget something and walking back into the room that you were just in sometimes helps rejog your memory. And so I try to be very cognizant of of switching contexts and try to limit it as much as possible. Mm. Um, and so what I like to do is sort of kick those links away and then go go back to what I'm doing. And okay. as opposed to sort of like I'm doing something and then I tap the button, it pops up within the app and then I am, you know, scrolling through and looking at it. I don't want to deal with it right now. I want to deal with it later. And so yours actually does make sense. Your your workflow slash shortcut makes sense because you're sort of sending it away for later. And that kind of helps you get back to what you're doing uh, before. So when it comes to sort of, I might be, I don't know, looking at Twitter and I tap on a link, typically like I'm tapping on that link because I want to put my full attention on whatever's at that link. I'm going to read it. It's fine. And then I can go back to Twitter later, or maybe I won't at all. But for Slack and things like that, typically, like I'm wanting to be in Slack, but I might see a link that I just want to keep for later. And those I end up just messaging to myself. I use my own uh, iMessage chat as a sort of read it later service, because I'm a monster. Uh, but yeah, that that's where my issue comes into play with sort of, do I want to switch contexts right now? Do I want to stay where I am? And um, I don't I don't use uh, the mail app. So I don't have that complaint necessarily there. Okay, so yeah, so that gets to sort of the second part of this. Uh, this seems to be a very important feature for Bob. So he's using a third party 
mail app. Uh, I use mail. As, I'll just come out as a mail user. I have tried all of these, and all of them frustrate me in some way. And honestly, like mail does what I need it to do. And, and I, I partner it with SaneBox, which is a sponsor of Relay FM. They hooked me up with an account, just full disclosure. Uh, but I, I use SaneBox in conjunction with mail. So I still get some of the features like snoozing or filtering, but I get all the benefits of using like the first party client. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in my mind, like all of these, uh, all these third party apps are, are broken in some way that doesn't jive with the way that I want to work. Um, but what do you use? What, what are, are you, uh, are you holding on to a mailbox or something, something ancient? <laughs> oh. oh man. Every time someone says that word, it just, it just hurts me. Uh, mailbox, my sweet, sweet mailbox. Well, the thing I, like, I agree with you. Uh, in most cases, I am very like, I will use first party everything as much as possible. Chrome, no thank you. I like Safari. Uh, special notes apps, no thank you. I'll use the notes app. But when it comes to mail, I just don't like the mail app. Um, I went from mailbox to, I don't know, probably uh, tried six or seven different things and I've always come back to airmail and yes airmail has lots of different uh, little issues that you know uh, are, are worth com- are worth complaining about and are reasonable to complain about but overall uh, my mind has just adjusted to it and the way that it works and the way that the swiping works and all of the stuff that you can do with it it's so fun um, the different services you can hook up to it and how you can use those to sort of improve upon uh, the mail app in in general. So yeah, I, um, I think that there is certainly a benefit to first party clients and using those as much as possible because you're going to get, you know, as as integrated as possible. But for me, airmail is where it is at. Yeah, that's fair. And I think out of all of these, it is by far the most flexible, like you can really it's kind of like a build your own mail client in a way. Like you can really mm-hmm. go in and set it up exactly the way you want to. And I totally see why that is a, a big benefit to a lot of people, why people want that. Yeah, it, it is a draw in to be able to to sort of um, adjust, not just your individual sort of, you know, how I want the the mail to look, but filters and, and folders and to do lists and everything that's built into it. So it can be a little bit intimidating for folks who would rather just like, I just want to log into my account and have everything go where I need it to go. This is a lot more in depth, but it's sort of like you get out of it what you put into it, I think. Mm hmm. And it's on the Mac and everything, right? So like a bunch of those features sync between like yes. your laptop and your phone, which is really cool. You're not having to set it up like repeatedly because that, that'd my be a iPad, my phone, my Mac. Yeah, it's it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, Spark is another one. This is one that I have some, I actually have this installed on my phone for one particular reason. Spark is kind of similar to Airmail. There's some customization. There is some like snoozing and filtering stuff that it does. But what's set Spark apart is that they have a it's, – it's kind of like a chat service built into Spark. And that seems super weird until you kind of realize how it works where uh, – so we have – you know, Mike and I work together and then we have a sales manager. And there are some times where, like, we need to discuss an email before our sales manager crafts a reply or before Mike sends it on to somebody else. And we used to do that in Slack, right? So we'd be like, oh, hey, there's this email message from this person. Go look at it. And then mm-hmm. you got to go to mail and find the message and go back to Slack. And 
Spark puts all that in line in the client and the, the sender doesn't see that. So Micah, if you sent us an email, the three of us could be talking about it and you never know that. You just get a regular reply back when someone hits reply to the email. Aha. Uh-huh. And so I have my like Relay FM email set up in mail, but I also have it set up in Spark for the occasional time where I need to take part in one of those conversations. It's a very specific feature. It's very business oriented, but it's it's really helpful. Uh, when they first announced it, I was like, oh, that seems kind of weird. And then we used it. It's like, oh, this is really exactly what we've needed. And uh, so Spark really has some some clever tricks up its sleeve in that regard. Oh, I can think of so many times where I could have used that feature uh, for for work and even like personal things. If it's, you know, multiple people talking to, I don't know, your architect or something and you, you know, right. you're getting a new housemate or something and you and your spouse or your partner want to talk before you send off whatever email it's going to be. Yeah, this is a, that's do, a really cool Do you talk cool to feature. a lot of architects? That's a very I spe- do. It's a yeah, very I've specific got... <laughs> example. <laughs> well, I've got six architects in my Rolodex, so. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't know who you are. Who says Rolodex? What is happening? <laughs> uh, sorry to throw you off there. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Newton? <laughs> yeah, so Newton, it, it, it's uh, I include it because it's popular. I haven't used it in a long time. It seems to be very similar to these to these others, where it does cross platform stuff. It does snoozing. It does this really clever thing about and Gmail itself does this now too, but. Basically, where um, hey, I sent say I sent Mike an email three days ago and he hasn't replied. It'll kind of keep me up to date on that. Like, oh, oh hey, this person hasn't replied yet. Maybe you should bug him again. Um, and like Airmail and others, it connects directly to third party apps, so I can share an email directly to to Doist or OneNote or Trello uh, to Evernote. So it, it 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 plugs in and is friendly with a bunch of other services. Um, and uh, so yeah, so I, th- I think it's another good option. I think out of all of these, it's the best looking. Like I really like the way that it looks. Um, Airmail in particular is just really not to my <laughs> to my liking visually, yeah. especially on the Mac. But um, uh, Newton is another good alternative if you're looking for something like this. And the others that we've mentioned kind of bug you in one way or the other. This can be a, a nice alternative. Absolutely, yeah. I, and there are plenty <laughs> of other email apps out there. Oh yeah, these are just like the top one. I mean, there are many, many more. Yes, these are just some of the best. Uh, and <laughs> Mailbox is gone, so <laughs> these are the ones you have to work with. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's interesting that so many third-party email clients have popped up. I think it shows that people want some people at least want more than what mm-hmm. Apple's app does. But it's hard to be upset about that. Because this is very much Apple's MO when it comes to first-party software, like mail or reminders or notes. Like They get the job done for the masses, but there are people who want more. And in those margins are where um, a lot of third-party developers can can live and make really interesting things. And so I, I think mail apps are just another. Yeah. I like I can run, I can run calculations uh, to add two plus two, but if I also want 3d bananas in my calculator, then I'm going to have to switch mm. to something like uh P-calc Maybe, maybe P-calc would have that. Yeah. 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 And if, and, and I love P-calc, but then you have solver, which is like another third party calculator app that does things differently from the other two. Like there's, What's nice about the ecosystem is there's always something out there to fit your needs. And so, if, you know, going back to, to Bob's thing, like, I don't know why Apple doesn't do this. Uh, they don't embed Safari in a lot of their 
first-party apps, but it opens the door for other people to do things exactly. differently. That's nice. And that's, that's a good thing. All right, uh, so we're going to get to our speed run, but first I want to tell you about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom. Pingdom is the company that offers uptime monitoring and web performance management. And you're more familiar with Pingdom than you may think because it helps keep your favorite sites online, like BuzzFeed, Netflix, Evernote, RelayFM. If you've used any of those sites recently and not run into any trouble, you may have Pingdom to thank. Websites are really sophisticated now. They have so many different moving parts. You've got things like contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search functionality, lots more. We're well beyond the days of just static web pages. They have all these moving parts. And Pingdom lets you check the availability of each one of those little functions. So it's not just, is my site up or down, but are people struggling with my contact form? Or is my e-commerce checkout broken? Uh, they care about those important interactions that people have on your site. And it lets you know if it's not working. And it's really easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is the URL you want to monitor. And they just take care of the rest. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial. No credit card required. And then when you sign up, use the code QUERY at checkout to get a massive 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, that brings us to the speedrun iPhone Photography Edition. All right, we start off with a question from Bastian. They write, are there any iPhone apps that shoot raw that you would recommend or will I be content with Heath? Yes, uh, I'm going to start by recommending two, and then I want to talk a little bit about Heath. Uh, so I always, I'm never sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly. I say halide, but it could be any number of things. It's H-A-L-I-D-E. We'll have a link, of course. Uh, halide shoots raw, um, and it does so very, very quickly. You get, you know, full quality snapshots. You're going to get, uh, you know, a preview very easily, and there are nice, subtle features for being able to sort of take control of your camera with Halide. I have these two photos on my Instagram account that I took of uh, one of my dogs, and I shot them in RAW and sort of upped the HDR toning, and they look so cool. And I was able to shoot that uh, straight from the iPhone X's camera using that app. The other one is Obscura 2. Um, Obscura 2 is this beautiful, minimalistic, uh, sort of what I like about it is how almost giant the features are in it. It's very mm. easy to tap and swipe and get to exactly what you need to. Totally. And you can use that as well to shoot raw images. And there are some fun filters that are built into Obscura. And I am a huge fan of, uh, not Taptic, but um, what is that called? The, the Taptic engine. It produces feelings <laughs> with vibrations. Yeah, yeah, like haptic feedback. Yeah, haptic feedback. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. I'm a huge fan of haptic feedback, and Obscura 2 lets you have quite a bit of it if you like it, or turn it down a little bit if you don't. I wish there was like a crank it up to 11 setting, because that's where I would go, but it's it's pretty great where it is there. Uh, so that's Halide and Obscura. But let's talk a little bit about Heath and Raw, because they're not exactly the same thing. Heath is a five format that is sort of like a, a container for holding types of images and image sequences and a whole bunch of different things that lets you capture a lot more stuff and store it within this one image file format. So you can think of it like a photo that you take with the camera on your iPhone 
a bunch of processing happens whenever that photo gets taken and even before that photo gets taken to try and figure out how to make the best looking photo possible. And then it gets stored as a heath file that has all of the information built into it. It's like non-destructive editing. It's, it's a pretty great file format for holding all that stuff. Now, that is heath. So it, it's sort of a, a place to store an already ready-to-go photo. Whereas RAW, you can think of that as the film that you take to like Walgreens to get developed. It is the film. It is not yet the developed photo. It is unadjusted. It's unprocessed. It's literally RAW. And so you're going to have sort of very muted photos that Try to capture the the middle line so that you can make things darker or brighter without losing any of the detail. So these files typically are bigger because it captures as much information as possible. And it's sort of straight from the shot and then can be taken and turned into a JPEG or some other file. And so you could, you know, end up with a raw that becomes a heath file in the end because it's going from this this straight from the camera format to heath. So keep that in mind. Uh, you will probably be content with heath in the sense that Apple, I feel, is pretty doggone good at uh, its image processing. They they focus a lot of attention on making sure that you're getting the best possible photo whenever you take a photo. But a raw photo on its own is, when you first look at it, kind of dull. And it's all about how you edit that photo and change it that makes the difference. I think that really explains it well. I, I for one, don't shoot raw very often. I have both of these apps installed. But most of the time, I'm just content to use Apple's processing. Um, Really, the only times I shoot raw, sort of on a regular basis, if I'm if I'm doing like a sunrise or sunset or something that has like a lot of dynamic range, and I feel like the iPhone may do something, I I feel like I could do better myself. Mm-hmm. But I think you're totally right. Their processing and their 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 ISP stuff is so good that I think unless you just really want to shoot in raw, I don't think by any means it's a it's like a necessity. Yeah, there's just a lot more work that goes into it. So you're going to end up if you don't know what to do with a raw photo, you're probably going to be disappointed because they don't tend to look very good all on their own. It's all about how you adjust those raw photos that makes the difference. All right, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next question. Uh, Joanne is looking for a good tripod mount for an iPhone. Do you have any that you like, Stephen? There are a ton of these like on Amazon Lots of things. The one I really like is the Studio Neat Glyph uh, for a couple of reasons. It has a bunch of quarter 20 spots, so you can like thread other things onto it. You can put it on top of a regular tripod. They sell like a a handle, like you can use it as like a selfie stick or to help stabilize it. And the thing is spring loaded, like the the mount itself. So you put your phone in it and it just sort of like clamps down on the phone. But this means you can use any size phone. You don't even have to use an iPhone, you can use any size phone. In a case, without a case, you know, so many of these things are like, they want your phone to be out of the case or a very thin case or, oh, I got a plus phone and now I don't, now it doesn't fit. Like the Glyph is extremely adjustable. And uh, I've had, I think, every version of this thing. They've had several iterations of it. And uh, I can say without a doubt the the current one is, is the best. I really am happy with it. I use it really often. If you want something a little bit more, uh, you can, like if you need a gimbal, so something that does like... Uh, smooths out the motion or has um, like motion tracking. Uh, the DJI Osmo Mobile 2 
is the one that uh, that I have, and it is a little expensive. But <laughs> if you need something that does some of this extra stuff, um, it can be really handy. So I actually just picked one of these up, and I've been enjoying getting uh, getting to use it. It has this cool thing called a motion lap. So basically, you move the gimbal and have like a starting point. So like, say I'm looking at a landscape, and I start on the left. Uh, at the ground, and I want to go up and to the right, and like to, into a tree. Like to, that, I want that to be my field of view over my time lapse. So you set the start point, and end point, and then the gimbal moves the camera as it shoots the the images uh, from the start to the end point. So it's like very sm- way smoother than you can ever do with your own hand, and it gives you a lot of flexibility. So if you need a little bit more, uh, that's what I would check out. And if that's not for you, there is a uh, there's a great article over on iMore that. Uh, that Micah, you wrote, uh, talking through some other gimbals that are uh, on the market. And some of them are simpler or less expensive. Some of them are fancier. Uh, it's a pretty good market out there yeah. to <laughs> to pick from. So there's lots of options. All right. So uh, to wind this up, uh, Benjamin asks, is there an easy way to edit photo metadata while on iOS? Well, okay, I think this depends on your definition of easy. Um, I personally think it's easy to download a third party app and be able to use that. But if you're sort of looking for uh, a first party way to do it right there on the iPhone, things get a little complicated. But uh, there's an app called, again, another one with a fun pronunciation. Uh, it, it, I would say Metafo. Uh, it, yeah, it's that's, that's how I said it in my head earlier. <laughs> excellent. So we'll agree, uh, or we're both wrong, and that's fine too. It is free with an in-app purchase to unlock everything, but uh, even the free version, when you open your photos in Metafo, it shows you everything that uh, is captured in that metadata. And so you can see all of the EXIF metadata right there. That includes, you know, what the file type is, how big it is, the file size, the camera that took the photo, ISO, a whole bunch of stuff. And you can edit those things right there in the app. Now, if you do purchase the in-app purchase, then you can also use it to completely wipe the photo of metadata. You can change the date and location information, and you can use what's called safe share, which is essentially so that there is no uh, location data or sort of self-identifying information that's built into the photo. So whenever you share it on social media or something like that, there's no creepy people able to, creepy clowns able to uh, get into your privacy and, and get access to that. Um, one of the things that I really like about the Metafo more than anything else is that it works on live photos, GIFs, and videos. So you can make edits to that mo- metadata as well. And if you're wanting to change the metadata of multiple photos at once, you can do that. It is what I would call a uh, full feature app. And it's kind of ridiculous the amount of stuff that you can do for free with Metafo. Uh, it's also got a re it's got a pretty high rating in the app store. And um, I've had it for for quite a while. And it continues to be updated and adds new features and fixes as much as possible. So definitely check it out. Uh, and one nice thing is it has an action extension. So if you're in the Photos app, uh, you can basically share an image to it directly, uh, which is uh, pretty pretty handy as well. So you don't have to jump through a lot of hoops to use it. Yes, excellent stuff. <laughs> it is good. Um, I've had this on my on my phone for for a while now. I've been using this for a while now. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to report back. So I think that's uh, 
I think that's it. I feel like we've had a solid episode of, of fun topics. Yeah, lots of photography stuff. Go out there, take some great photos. And uh, if you have any other questions about them, too bad, because we've done our photo episode. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we'll be back. Uh, we can't escape photo management on the show. You'll learn that soon enough. <laughs> oh, can't learning. escape. Uh, if you want to check out the apps we talked about or links to articles we mentioned, uh, you can head over to the website, relay.fm slash query slash 36. Uh, while you're there, you could drop us an email or you can submit a question on Twitter. Use the hashtag AskQuery. In the meantime, you can find Micah on Twitter uh, as at Micah Sargent, and you can find his writing over at imore.com. I'm ISMH on Twitter and write512pixels.net. Until our next episode, Micah, say goodbye. Auf Wiedersehen. Adios.